Welcome to the podcast. Hello. I like I like not uh, being. I like how you automatically backed yourself away from the microphone, so almost subconsciously, so you didn't blast us out. I've never noticed that. Maybe you always do that, but it seemed very courteous. Dude, you know what it is? You didn't spit into the mic for us. I've, uh, dude, I'm spitting some words. Oh, some rhymes. I'll spit, spit some rhymes. Um, <laughs> dude, uh, I uh, I've been watching The Voice, so that's how I know. You're to back to the voice. The yeah, I yeah, haven't dude. Heard you talking about The Voice in a while. Yeah, man. People are gonna think it's a rerun because you used to talk about The Voice. Every dude, we're, the, we're in the top ten, man, bro. Dude, so All this right. is the thing. I want to thank everybody who participated in Luke Twenty One Challenge. We totally blew it out of the water. Big time. You guys blew it out of the water. Which yeah. is this is our first time. Not only have we met our goal, but we have exceeded our goal. And we've only yeah, done a like, handful of these, right? Yeah, we tw- but two. we blew it out. Yeah. Two. So this is number three. Yeah. Third time at the charm. So I want to thank Beth, Cynthia, Mark, Lydia, Frank and Maggie, Lou, Daniel, Ferdinand, Andrew, Rebecca, Dale, Dave, Paul, Scott, Walker and Nancy, Robert, mm-hmm. Erica, Suyun, Carrie, Craig, Gareth, Matt and Lisa, Karen, Pam, Tom, Hannah, Jim, Thomas, Janelle, Patrick, Jamie, Bob, Pamela, Tim, Heather, Julie, Jason, Li- Linda, Allie, Ryan, Lucille, Leslie, Alex, Barbara, Megan, Scott, John, Stephen, Marilyn, Father Adam, Margaret, Katie, Gage, Susan, Kara, Mark, Barbara, Madeline, Philip, Brian and Stephanie, Susanna, Deborah, Andy, Chris, Caroline, Kim, Lauren and Sam, Rachel, Mark, Thomas, Andrea, John, Amy, uh, Amy, uh, Ani, sorry, Patrick, Brian, Denise, John, Garrett, Lauren, Merrick and Emily, Joelle, Catherine, Elizabeth, Jordan, Philip, Rhonda, Christina, Rose, Katie, William, Kendall, Patty, Peyton, Emma, and Tim. We love you guys. Holy mackerel. That was that was all the people who gave. You guys the um, people you wow. It's like when you uh when we were little kids and your parents would like write in to like Blinky's Fun Club to have your name read on air <laughs> and just be like in the long list of names. Absolutely. But that's actually beautiful that you you, you read all of them because we well, and that that's it's good for us because then we can specifically pray for you guys. Yeah. And, and I didn't read your last names because some of you want to be anonymous. Some of you don't want to be anonymous. <laughs> and, uh, so we have a little bit of both. Yeah, we have a little bit That's of a both. It's a good little hybrid. Yeah, so so it's a, you know, I just, uh, I mm. cannot tell you how thankful I, I am for your support. I was I was talking with us, uh, with somebody um, uh, just after the podcast and, and like, and uh, just really, like, it's funny because we, sometimes we jest about nobody listening. We do um, usually me and usually Scott, but <laughs> that's usually my. But it's it's really this funny thing, you guys, where it's Scott and I reflecting on scripture in my basement, yeah, like with some microphones, and true. then we have this kind of abstract number of like downloads mm. and cats pressing return buttons and <laughs> and all these things, and then all of a sudden it comes to life with mm. your names and your generosity and your investment in us, yeah, um, and. Um, and like literally some of some of what some of what you were doing were the widows might i mean like honestly some of it Absolutely. was the bias like some people gave their life for us because yeah. because of how powerful um we have been in your life and so i know that when you put yourself out on the line and give a gift to us how much that means so i want to thank you guys so much it makes me feel like um there's at least 100 people in the basement here with us and it's really kind of smelly and sweaty but it's nice and we're all packed in together oh no that's just you 
<laughs> oh, well, you're, you're saying all these kind, upbuilding, beautiful things, and then did I just? Oh, I forgot to tell Scott he smells. <laughs> Scott, you better get back to it. You, you know what I Thanks, love man. about you, Scott? Tell me, <laughs> is you don't ever smell. I've never actually been like, dang, Scott, you're you're stanky. I have good pheromones. You do. That's uh, take great pride in that. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys. Can I give a totally different shout out? Yep. So thank you to all of those people. I also want to thank um, the St. Therese Institute for Faith and Mission. Saskatchewan. Bruno, as a matter of fact. Bruno. Which is in Saskatchewan. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking Saskatchewan. So that's like saying like Colorado, but like Boulder. Yeah. Yes. That is, yeah, that's exactly it. But I just want to thank all of you for having me up. I was up there over the weekend. It was a very quick trip. I was in Friday, out Sunday, back for work. Um, gave like six or seven talks, talked about Advent. And they are... I, I speak, not a lot, but I, I speak enough. Um, they have consistently, this is my third time being up there, they are consistently one of the best audiences I've ever experienced. They are the most animated. Like, you know when you're speaking to somebody, and I'm sure this happens in homilies all the time, like you totally can't read them, or you right. don't know if the jokes are landing. <laughs> I always know where I stand with these folks, and I've just never been with consistently an audience who is so consistently and totally engaged as these guys, uh. which is so much fun. So I love being up there. There were a bunch of alumni who came back for the event, and it was it was super fun. So thank you guys all, dude. You know what for I, having me up there. You know what I love is, um, dude, the the faithful in the church in Canada, mm. like, dude, there are like powerhouses for up real. there. I mean, because you guys are have extra special graces because mm. you guys are a light in in Canada, and it's like it's, it's just it's just awesome. So you, the faithful in Canada, dude, here I want to like sing their national anthem right now. Oh, Canada! It always sounds like the theme, the song to a Christmas tree to me. I'm I, sure that's not what it actually is. That's what that, I I can't distinguish it. That's why I didn't do it. But yeah, thank you for right. doing that. I want to give a shout out to all my people in Orange County. People, I, you were in Saskatchewan. I was in Orange. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. So so I just want to give a shout out. It was so nice meeting all of you and being able to be with you. We were just traveling. We're just some traveling folks. Traveling man. Um, okay. So Kay. I was talking with Father Nathan Goble. Goble. Um, of the Catholic Stuff You Should Know podcast. The mulleted priest of yep. the Archdiocese. Um, he's the, and Does the, he still um, have the mullet going on? Yep, and the pres- president of the Presbyteral Council in the Archdiocese. He's the president of the Presbyteral Council? Oh, yeah. But we were talking, and we decided that because we're we're all going to be podcasting at the Sikh conference, oh, oh that, my. that we're going to do a, a crossover party one of the nights. Oh, me, oh, my. So, um, so right now we're looking for a venue. We're going to rent out the oh whole me. venue. So all wow. of you who are going to Seek, um, I think we'll need the whole conference center to hold all of our fans. <laughs> I think so too, <laughs> dude. Between Catholic stuff, you should know, and us, dude, doing a crossover party—that's fun. So at Seek, so if any at of you Seek. are going to be at Seek nineteen, yep. Seek nine, yeah, that's what's called. Yeah, we're going to announce the location, but just plan on one night we're going to take over a, a pub and have a great time for the Colorado uh, podcast or anywhere. Oh, yeah, the Colorado-based. And FYI, you and I are doing a live podcast there. They've offered a space right. for us to actually record. And so are they. And so are they. You just said that. That's why we're doing it. Yeah, which is awesome. I'm also giving another talk. So if you're there, you should come to that one, too. It's going to be great. We are and, taking over the seat conference. Right. And um, I'm going to be talking to people. Boom. Not at people. Oh, I just talk at them. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in the second Sunday of Advent, St. Juan Diego Day. Oh, man, I love that guy. He's, He's one the- of He's the best to do it. I mean, think about think about like his, he's got to be one of the. He, I know he's not the patron of the Americas, Our Lady of Guadalupe, but he. I mean, for the Church in the Americas, he's a pretty big deal, right? Pa- yeah, he's or a is big, he? 
Yeah, I mean, he's the he because Our Lady of Guadalupe is the patron of the Church of the Americas. Is right. that right? Exactly. And he's the one who who brought had us. Her. Yeah, who is who is actually courageous enough to bring yeah. her to us? Yeah. And in his meekness and simplicity. So well, that is very cool. I didn't may, realize it was his day. May we do that? So mm. our first reading is from Baruch. But chapter five, one through nine. All right. Our second, our responsorial psalm is Psalm 126, the tail end. Well, the tail end of the Psalter. Psalm 126, the front end of the psalm. So I just keep going. Yep. <laughs> just trying to get you to laugh, man. <laughs> 126. <laughs> thanks for that. Verses one through two, three, two through three, four through five, and six. And the response itself is coming from three. Second reading is from the Philippians chapter one, four to six, and then skipping to eight to 11. Okay, so then Luke, our, our our gospel. Luke, chapter one, no, chapter three, verses one through six. Yay! Yay! Baruch. Okay, so isn't okay. Baruch the? He, wasn't he the, like the secretary to Jeremiah? Yeah, very good. That was that was what I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah. So he's Jeremiah's secretary. Which so Jeremiah, what? Which means we need to know a little bit about Jeremiah. We talked about Jeremiah in the past. Yeah. Jeremiah's big. Task. He was a bullfrog. <laughs> he and was a good friend of mine. He was. Yeah, I never understood a single word he said, but. You know what? I helped him drink his wine. Yeah. Hey, man, this is what we did. Yeah. Uh, but it's Advent, so joy to the world. <laughs> All the boys and girls. <laughs> okay. Jeremiah, his task was to go to Jerusalem um, in front of all the leaders and the uh, basically to go to the temple and to pronounce a curse that was coming both on the Jerusalem and on the temple because of the peoples having fallen into idolatry, having given themselves to other gods, having put their faith in all sorts of things that were not God. And one of his big, Jesus like, actually like, quotes him. Like social media, like right, uh, they, Amazon they couldn't shopping. get off Facebook and their Amazon Prime accounts were way- Way overspent. Overspent. The credit, the, you know, cars. They yes. were just putting all their faith in things in their own strength and their exercise and their healthy diets. <laughs> yes, that's it. Kettlebells everywhere. Kettlebells so all over the place. So basically, what you're saying is that it was that there was some idolatry going on. What I'm saying is there was some idolatry on a lot of levels, and a lot of it was was nationalistic in the sense that God kept saying Israel is supposed to be a particular kind of people. They are a royal kingdom, a nation mm. of priests and prophets. And as a result, you know, I mean, after uh, I, we could retell the whole history, but what, one moment that I find really <laughs> That's not. significant. No, I, I'm not. Um, basically, when God was asking them to trust in him, right. even politically, militaristically, economically, they said, well, that sounds really scary. So instead, we're going to trust in the nation of Egypt, which right. was actually how they got into the situation they were getting in. So God was saying, trust me. They're saying, no, we're going to po trust political superpowers to protect us not God. And as a result, not only did they abandon God and turn their back on his trust, his faithfulness, but they actually ticked off the new superpower, which was Babylon, who was at war with Egypt. And now they had, you know, they're, they're mixed up in this political quagmire. They have a spiritual disaster going on. And at the same time, they think way more of themselves than they ought to. And Dude, so Jeremiah goes- and That's like, like America right now. In a lot of I ways. Mean, I mean, it's hard to not read the story I, and see I, reflection. I was, I was reading an article the other day about how Loneliness needs leads to political extremism online. Oh wow! And, and how like oftentimes people take refuge because what what's happening is I think is that we're inbuilt to have an enemy. And okay, and yeah. What That's happens fair. That's, is, yeah. is that is that there's a part of us that we need to struggle against for some something that's bad for something that's good. I mean, there's, yes, yeah, in, it's inbuilt into our passions. Yeah. And so what happens is that like you say, well, what is bad? And if we're not actually willing to go and say sin is bad, yeah, right. and 
immorality is bad and those things that uh, take us away from God is bad, what do we uh, do? We take refuge in politics, which is saying, look, those other people are bad and these ideas are bad. And so then we're going to actually start to struggle against it rather than to go like to look inside and to say like, oh, why am I lonely? Oh, okay. I'm, I'm doing things against communion. Okay. Hold on. How do I recover this? Well, this is the whole story of Jesus, um, and the Palm Sunday story, when he goes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and everyone is expecting him to come and sort of be this political messiah and say, oh, the Romans are, they're the bad guys and we must destroy them and we must cleanse this place of the bad guys. And instead Jesus says, no, we need to cleanse it of ourselves, right. of our own immorality, of our yeah. own ways in which we've given to the evil one. And he's on a cross in a couple of days because people don't want the enemy to be within them. Right. They don't want to think that there's any possibility that evil has actually permeated me. Mm. And so it's the same as it's always been in history. It's the same this way now. It was the same in Jesus's time. It's the same in Jeremiah's time. And so Jeremiah showed up and basically said, you need to repent. You need to recognize that you have been overtaken by evil. It's not It's not um, Babylon's problem. It's not the Assyrians. It's not the Egyptians. It's you. It's that the evil one has permeated you. And as a result, you have made the temple in Jerusalem into a den of liars and thieves and robbers and all of these things. And the people try to kill him. And they said, wow, that's ridiculous. Mm. And Jeremiah has this horrible task of having to pronounce this curse on Jerusalem and the temple because they have turned so far from God and God need any good parent has to punish. You have to take something away. There has to be loss sometimes. And so what they lose is Jerusalem, but he also witnesses all those things. Mm -hmm. He sees all of the things that he foretold happen. And mm -hmm. Baruch is right by his side. And as the slaves and the, the Israelites are being hauled off into captivity, into slavery in Babylon, we get this writing of Baruch, which Baruch presents himself and scholars debate. It's one of the deuterocanonical books, so it's not in our Protestant friends' canon. But and, and there's debate over exactly what's going on here. But if you take it for what it says, it is this message coming. It, it's, it, it, it does a lot of different things. It goes between poetry and prose and wisdom literature. It's actually a brilliant piece of writing just on a literary level. But it's this message from the exiles up in captivity in Babylon that's sent back to those who were left in Jerusalem as this word of encouragement. And the encouragement, and, and it kind of goes back and forth between, between these poetic hymns that are sung from the exiles back to Jerusalem herself. Jerusalem is like personified. And we're singing to Zion. And then we have Zion, Jerusalem, singing back to her people. And it's this song back and forth, this almost liturgical thing back and forth about how what the word of encouragement that's coming from Baruch is, we get it now. The reason it's this sort of book of consolation and book of encouragement and book of glory. I mean, it's written from the midst of exile. It's written from the midst, the middle of slavery, the worst possible moment. But it's a moment of encouragement because it's the first time in salvation history that Israel says, oh, we understand now. We get what Jeremiah had been saying. We see why this all took place. Oh, Babylon came. It, it knocked down the doors. It destroyed the temple. It hauled us off. But we understand why we see our own sin. It's like as a parent, you hope desperately that, you know, when you punish or you take something away, that it's not just this seen as this arbitrary, oh, dad's being mean to me, but that your kids see, oh, I, I see why you had me do that. I, I, get, I get why I had to go to my room. I understand what I did. I'm so sorry. You know, it's the dream of a parent, which you don't get very often, but it's Israel saying, we understand why this happened. Thank you, God. We get it. And then this understanding that this isn't forever, this understanding of Jerusalem literally singing to her people that there will come a time. Well, it, it says this is what we get. Jerusalem, take off your robe of mourning and misery. Put on the splendor and glory of God from ever 
uh, from God forever, wrapped in the cloak of justice from God, because we get justice. We get our just punishment. Bear on your head the miter that displays the glory of the eternal name, for God will show all the earth your splendor. You will be named by God forever, the peace of justice, the glory of God's worship. It's future um, pointed. This all will happen, and we actually get that now. We know we're being punished. We're stuck in our room. We're grounded, which is a, such a trite analogy for the depth of what's actually going on. Right. But we see the other side, or at least we see that there is another side. And we, are, the exiles, are telling Jerusalem herself, you will be rebuilt. And Jerusalem is then telling the people, yes, you will be rebuilt, and we will be together again, and it will be glorious in a way that we never dreamed Jerusalem could be glorious because— Again, we know in the light of the church, Jerusalem is not any longer merely just a city in the Middle East. Jerusalem is the kingdom of God that is spread from sea to sea. But we first, it's like one of the first most beautiful inklings of how salvation history is going to turn way back at the darkest moment in Israel's history. You know, I, whenever I look in it, and, and the, uh, Baruch is using the idea of the glory of God wrapping them up. Which is a very specific idea. That's not an abstraction. Right. Which we can... What, we, you know, and I have my own ideas of what the glory of God is, but what are the specific... I mean, what's the specific idea? The specific idea, I think... I mean, I think there's lots of pieces to this, but I yeah. think the most specific idea, it's it's the, the word Shekinah. And so what the glory was... So part of the problem in Jerusalem and in the temple is they said, well, yeah, maybe we've sinned. Maybe we've done these things. But we've got that big temple up on the hill, and we literally have God locked inside. They believed in the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies, the presence of God literally dwelt. And he dwelt in the form of the glory cloud, the Shekinah. And so Ezekiel, actually, remember, he has that vision. We've talked about this in the podcast. He sees this vision of the glory cloud leaving the temple just before Babylon comes in and it jets and everyone's like, "Uh uh-oh, God's presence left. That was the glory of God leaving the temple. Mm. And there's all these prophecies about how the glory of God will return, which is, for the Jewish people, very specifically related to the presence of God. Actually, total side note, do you remember in the presentation in the temple when Simeon, the prophet Simeon, holds Jesus? Do you remember what he says? Now you let your servant go in peace. My eyes have seen, have been seen. I pray this every night. I know. Now the you let your go in peace. Um, your word has been fulfilled. Your own eyes, the glory of your people. My is eyes right. have seen your glory. glory. Right. Because I'm holding the Shekinah in my hands. The glory of God has returned to the temple at that moment. Do you know what I, you know what I want to do? Tell me. Glory, glory, hallelujah. That's what that's what Simeon did. Yeah, yeah. It's not recorded in Luke, but yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. Is is uh, when you talk about Orthodox theology, they mm. talk about the the um the uncreated light, the light that uh, that that that, that in fact the every experience of God is glory. Mm. And that, and so, so we say the glory remains with, and then we, then like yeah. John says, the glory of God is primarily experienced in Him on the cross. But mm. then there's there's all of this. But there's these layers, these layers of, of, yeah. of glory, and like I talk a lot about to me, like the experience of glory, mm. um, in relationship to my intellect and to my will. The experience of glory in relationship to your intellect and will. Tell me about that. So, so the intellect is the is saying like, "Ooh, I understand. Yeah, I grasp how this is all woven mm. together and what the pieces are." I mean, that's like to me. I, I like when when our podcast goes well. Yeah, I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I had just had an experience of the glory of God. Yeah, like I mm. got to see some emanation mm. of the very heart of God expressing itself within history and time in our lives now Mm. and the divine pattern being imprinted now. Um, 
And then, then will is that experience when I've like, um, I can feel the Holy Spirit work in his gifts and his fruits within okay. how my life is. Like no, the, the no. other day, I like, man, th- I felt like the Spirit just took over at my Tuesday night candlelight mass. Nice. And like I was preaching, everybody was lit up too. We yeah. were like, and, and like I had, I had probably nine people come to me. And they all said, Father, that was specifically for me with Whoa. this like little like glimmer in their eye. Like wow. Holy Spirit wanted to do big things in people's wow. lives that night. And I like got a chance to be able to be like, ooh, I surrendered my will for a minute. <laughs> and, wow. like, and the Holy Spirit did something. And I was like, li- I was lit up about it because it was the Holy Spirit doing things, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I got to participate in my wow. own will, which is like cool. That's really beautiful. Well, in yeah. a certain sense, I mean. I actually think that is a decent segue into the psalm. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. Heck yeah. Which, But but think about this. So this is coming to the tail end of the Psalter, which means that, you know, he who, who compiled the final Psalter is, is very purposely putting psalms that fit a certain theme in certain places. And, and at the tail end of the psalms, what we're seeing is psalms about looking forward to what God will do. And so when you read this psalm in the context of where it shows up in the Psalter, the, the, the Lord has done great things for us. We're filled with joy. And it talks about when the Lord brought us back from the captives of Zion, back when we were in slavery, right, in Baruch's time. We were like men dreaming, and our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongues rejoicing. But, <laughs> so you can read it on a couple levels, right? When the Lord brought us back to our home, after, after exile ended, after the slavery was done, we were able to come back home. You could read that as sort of what the psalm is saying. The Lord has done great things for us regarding we're filled with joy because he let us come back. We're filled with joy because we're coming home now. The Lord has done great things for us by setting us free. Or you can read it with the mind of Baruch and say, no, when I say the Lord has done great things for me, I mean the exile itself. I mean the punishment itself. I mean the slavery because we understand that now. And now we get to come home. Dude, and was... now it's like we're dreaming because we get why we were there in the first place. It's not this kind of like, finally we get to come home. Oh, my goodness. Dude, that was the content of my Tuesday night kind of like Was mass. it really? Yeah, yeah. Because I was talking about how um, uh, the, the, entrance, uh, the uh, entrance antiphon that the choir sang was, yeah. Lord, do not remember the sins of my youth. Mm. Do not let me be ashamed before them. And it, it was a psalm, but um, yeah, yeah. but what I but but like I think tri- we just had that psalm a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah, we did in the yeah. Psalm twenty something or another. So I was going, and I started to think to myself, and the Holy Spirit just inspired me. Like the best part about the redemption of Jesus Christ is that He doesn't just forgive us of our sins, but He takes our sins and actually transforms them into light. Okay. So oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so it's like so it's like in Baruch, we not only do we understand that we we are filled with joy because we realize that the whole pattern, even how God has taken up the sins of Israel, to show forth His redemption, that it's it's just that God is so redeeming that He is unafraid of everything to be transformative. It's like the cross. Yes, that's it. You say the cross is the worst ever. Period. It's but it, yet it becomes the greatest ever. Yes, and it flips everything on its head. And we say, my goodness, that's how much God loves us. Is and that's that, how powerful God is. Right. That he even this can be transformed upside. I mean. I was thinking about the Mary's Magnificat, right? right. Which, I, uh, interestingly enough, not ironically, um, the word that Luke uses when it talks about, um, it's when the angel says, the spirit of the Lord will overshadow you. Do you remember that in Luke's gospel yeah, during yeah. the Annunciation? Yeah. The word for overshadow, it's the same word. The only other place to my knowledge that it's used is when the glory cloud comes 
onto the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies, when God's presence literally comes to indwell there. He says the Holy Spirit is going to um, overshadow you. It, you will, it will indwell. The glory cloud is coming to you. Right. The glory of the Lord, the Shekinah, it's coming into you. And she responds with the Magnificat, which if you read the Magnificat carefully, what the Magnificat is basically saying, it, it's, it's the series of reversals, right? The hungry are going to be filled. The rich are going to be set away empty. The lowly will be lifted up. The powerful will be brought low. And all of it is basically this, this idea that, and this was the mantra I used in my retreat back in Saskatchewan last weekend, because I kept thinking about it. If God is truly sovereign, you ready for this? Yeah. If God is truly sovereign, nothing in the world has to remain as it is. Mm. If God is truly sovereign, nothing has to remain as it is. Wow. That's the Magnificat. That's what you're saying. That's Baruch. That's the exile. That's every one of our sins. That's every you know piece of spiritual baggage that we carry. All of it. Nothing has to remain as it is if God actually is sovereign. Yes. Dude, I, this whole thing reminds me of the Ayunlin day, the very first okay. chapter. The, I've been the, wondering what you're yeah, digging out yeah, there. Yeah, of the Cimmerillion, the music of the Ainur. Okay. And there's a section where it says... Um, He's talking about this song, Aluvatar. God puts into the hearts of the people this song, uh, uh, the hearts of the archangels and the angels that they sing back to him. And it says, um, and it seemed at last, the last that there were two musics progressing at one time before the seat of Aluvatar, which is what he calls God. Okay. And they were utterly at variance. Mm. The one was deep and wide and beautiful, but slow and blended with an immeasurable sorrow from which its beauty chiefly came. Mm. The other, the evil song, okay. had now achieved a unity of its own, but it was loud and vain and endlessly repeated, mm. and it had little harmony, but rather a clamorous unison as many trumpets brang upon a few notes. And it essayed to drown the other music by the violence of its own voice, but it seemed that its most triumphant notes were taken by the other and woven into its own solemn pattern. Wow. So that's intense. Yeah. So it's, it's saying it's, it's taking up the horrible brang. So it's, it's this beautiful wide thing, but it defeats it by taking these other moments and it weaving it into its own music so wow, that, so really that it, it, it steals all of its power, which is this kind of like beautiful vision. It's uh, almost the Catholic response to yin and yang. Right. It's not, yes, there's good and evil in the world, but they're right. not like kind of co-equal and harmonious. Right. There's, there's a dissonance. Right. And God can use the dissonance then. He can actually take over the dissonance and transform it. And transform it in, and wow. thus defeating of its own power. And dude, I'll tell you what, that is Philippians. Talk about your segues. Dude, that is flipping me out. That is flipping me out. Um, so this is, comes from the opening. Our reading comes from the opening of Philippians where he talks about brothers and sisters. I always pray with joy in my heart for you, uh, for all of you because of your partnership in the gospel. I'm confident, blah, blah, blah. Um, what does he say? I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. He says, this is my prayer that you may know that your love may increase more and more in knowledge and in every persecute in every kind of perception to discern what's of value so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ for the glory, the Shekinah and the mm. praise of God. And the reason I think it's applicable, we actually don't get it here. But if you know anything about this book, it's embedded throughout Paul. So this is sometimes called the letter of joy because Paul uses the word joy more in this gospel than any other word, than any other gospel. It's not a gospel. It's an epistle. He <laughs> uses the word joy in this letter. It, it is the pinnacle theme, right? And the irony of that is that Paul actually writes this from a prison cell. He's imprisoned at the time. And not only is he imprisoned, he goes on to tell you in about a chapter and a half that he's 
both imprisoned, and there's a bunch of people in the church that are bad-mouthing him and stabbing him in the back. Do you remember that? And yet every other word is about his joy. And simultaneously, he's telling the Philippians that you are undergoing some sort of major, massive persecution where everyone is hating you and people are trying to kill you. And so in that context of sitting in a prison cell, being bad-mouthed and, and back, uh, backstabbed, written, written to a people who are being utterly persecuted and killed for their faith in the gospel, Paul talks about nothing but joy and happiness and how great everything is. Because he, in this prayer, what does he say? To discern what is of value yes. so that you may be pure and blameless. Right. So what happens is that it, the technique is what is of value? Like, are we in conflict? Yeah, we're always in conflict. We're always in conflict. Like, the, 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 that's the secret of life, is that is that we, we are always going to be in the midst of tribulations and trials. That's the nature of the world right. in, in its birth pangs. And he has this great line where he's like, well, he's like, what's the worst that could happen to me? Well, they could kill me. Guess what? If they kill me, I get to go be with Jesus. Right. If they don't kill me, I can keep on preaching to you. Right. Either way, it's a win-win. Yeah. There's nothing There's nothing they can take from me. Because he says this is so, li you listen to what you just said, both things are valuable in both this way. Both things are valuable, Because yes. he's looking for what's valuable, not what's depleted. Not, what, not, what's, not what's missing. Okay. He's saying this and is what's not, valuable. Oh, this is what I don't have. I don't have my freedom. I don't have this. I don't. Right. Ah, good. He's saying, no, look. This is where the value is. Yeah, this is what's valuable. And what does it like, discern? What, what is, is a value? So discern you, what is a value. Oh, that's good. So that your love may increase more and more in knowledge and yeah. every kind of perception. So what happens is that this is what I talk about when I'm talking mm -hmm. about reverence. Being reverential is to discover what's truly of value. Right. So a reverential person. Calm down, Scooby. <laughs> Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is um, is a wild way to enter into the gospel. It's also a wild analogy of the first reading. It, it's different circumstances, okay. but both Paul and Israel in the time of Baruch find themselves enslaved, find themselves essentially imprisoned. The, the context for Ooh, how they yeah. got there is totally different. Paul right. didn't do it of his own volition. Israel did it for their sin, but he's basically saying, look, imprisonment is imprisonment. Exile is exile. No, no, both, how are, you both are full of volition. See, this is the thing is one is a sinful volition and one is a choosing of walking yes, after Christ. Yes, good, good. That's See, the right distinction. This thing is, is, is that that's the glory of God yes. found in the will. Good, that's, that's is, it. Is that, yeah, yeah that God yeah. takes up our bad will and our good will. Right. And, and then he conforms it into his into glory. Into glory. Yes, absolutely. Which is a good segment of the yeah, gospel. Yeah. And we're in Luke because we're in your C, but we're also in Christmas time. And you get a lot of the good Christmas stuff in Luke. Christmas. Although this isn't one of them. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is, it's kind of a strange one. I, it's was trying, an, I was trying to like fit it in. I know. It's, uh, well, I, I have some thoughts. Okay. And it's so funny. Well, let me, let me just read this, um, not, maybe not the whole thing, but this part. It says in the 15th year, this, Which by the way, <laughs> that, that it's time. It's the sanctification of time. So what yes. we're talking about at first measure is we're talking about the sanctification of the will. Okay. Now we're talking about how God is actually sanctifying time. But not only that. See, I'm reminded of, uh, I, I, um, I was thinking about, what was, it, what was it called? It's the thing we read uh, in um, the Midnight Mass on Christmas Eve, the Roman Martyrology from Christmas Eve. <laughs> yeah, we have, I love I, the we, Roman Martyrology. Have we, we not read that? I never read it for I the, love I it. love it too. It's like my <laughs> but, like, but it's for like a bunch of six-year-olds? Yeah, really well, yeah, tough. no, that doesn't. It's only for Midnight Mass, right? Isn't that what, what, where it's prescribed? No. Oh, is it all Christmas it's, Eve? It's it's for the, so. What happens is we have the vigil mass and midnight, 
And oh, it's, it's yeah. for both. I uh, know. I can't remember. I know it's for midnight. I can look it up, but let's not because I remember talking about it like okay. right now. But I love it. Yes. because it's it's this you know in the in the in the however many years since the creation of the world and the whatever year since the flood and the however long from the time of David in the forty seventh oh, Olympiad. Oh yeah, you can. The, yeah, you, oh, I forget when you're supposed to read it. It's at the beginning. I know it's at midnight mass. I know in the rubrics it's right after the opening prayers of not. In the 46 yeah. Olympiad. Yes. I, I, love, I love it. it when it's sung. Because it tells you, number one, that this moment, the nativity of Jesus Christ, born in the flesh, it's the centerpiece of all of biblical history. It's the centerpiece of the biblical story from the time of the flood to the creation of man to the whatever year from David to Moses setting the people free. Oh, and it was also this Olympics. And here was who was emperor. And this is how long it had been since Rome was founded. Because not only is the birth of Jesus the center of Israel's history, it's the center of the whole world's history. Right. Which Luke's particular take on that is that Luke is the only gospel writer who's not Jewish. He's the only Gentile. And so he comes at this story with a very particular point of view. And so he begins, he, he frequently does this. He'll put the story he's about to tell you in the secular context, in the context, not just of where it fits in the prophecies, which he does do that, but he's the one that said, oh, by the way, it was the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea. Herod was the Tetrarch of Galilee. His brother Philip was Tetrarch of the region, um, you know, of all these places. And he, he names all these geographies during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. He's saying, here is what is happening, not only because Christ has come to redeem time, which you just said, but he's also come to redeem space. And politics and public figures and, and will, history and, and will and intellect, love and affection and all of it. And he actually spends more time in this passage placing you in the historical context than he does actually telling you what he wants to tell you. It's funny, even in the birth of Jesus, the way he records the birth of Jesus, he tells you more about Caesar's census than he does the birth of Jesus. Because for Luke, it's so important to show that Jesus has redeemed all of human history. And he's got these markers. He's like, oh, yeah, the reign of Tiberius. Those were dark days. Oh, yeah, Philip being the Tetrarch. Oh, Pontius Pilate. This is really, it's these little markers that he's giving you that are meant to evoke all of this negative emotion. It's like talking to an Eastern European and saying, oh, in the days of Hitler, there was this thing that happened. You're like, oh, those did. Yeah, that was bad. There's there's emotion that is meant to be kind of built up in you right. when he says this. Yeah, in the days of Pol Pot, this is, these things took place in the days of this terrible war. Yeah, right. It's that kind of thing. Right. And he says in those days, because he's showing, oh, yeah, what everybody thought was the darkest time in our history that's actually when the most light was coming. When we thought we were all in, in totally inflicted with exile and oppression, that is when God took what seemed like evil and transformed it. It's when the light came and met the darkness and the dissonance was transformed by God. It's, it's like this. It's like uh, so the apostles say, hey, when's the kingdom going to come? And mm. he's, like, he's like, hey, pay attention because <laughs> uh, many people... Kings and prophets long to see what you see, but did not see it. Yeah. That's actually like in a certain He doesn't quite sense, answer it. Right. Which he is says, frustrating. <laughs> he, but this is the thing is that goes till now. Yes, absolutely that's, right. That's not like that's not distant from what we're doing right, right. now. You think because like that's actually the nature of, of life. Absolutely. Is that we exist in hard times. It's also the nature of Advent. Right. It's the nature of life that we exist in hard times. Yeah, that's just a given. But if we think about Advent, this very confusing season, it's con I, I, I'm always confused by Advent because, you know, we've had Christmas decorations up since Halloween. 
It's not. We have. It's just like we've been celebrating this thing. Every, you know, half holiday of the holiday music is pouring world, out everywhere, and we're all sick of it by Christmas Day, which is such a disservice to Advent when we're actually asked to wait. Partially, I think we have this culture that is, we're so instant gratification. Everything's on our phone. Everything's on Netflix. We don't know actually how to wait for something. And so we have this moment that the church is not penitential, right? In the same like Lent, but we're asked to fast and sacrifice and actually be patient for something. Mm. But, but you know, you have to ask this question of what is it that we are waiting for in Advent? And I asked that at the retreat up in, up in Canada over the weekend. Everyone's like, well, the birth of Christ. And I said, wrong. We're not waiting in Advent for the birth of Christ. Christ was born. It right. happened. It's a right. done deal. This look here's all the historical markers. Right. So what are we waiting for? We're waiting to celebrate the birth. Yeah, that's true. But we're waiting for him to come again. Cuz he did come. It's definitive. We have, you know, a million historical markers. We know which Olympics it was. We know who the emperor was. We know that he came. It was a definitive historical fact. Christ has stepped into human history and changed it. But now we're still waiting. Because then he ascended into heaven. And then we have the veil placed over our eyes at what he's really done. And we know what he has done. And we know that Christ has changed the world, but it doesn't look like it or feel like it. And so we still have these hard times that we're dealing with. And it still feels like exile. And so we are waiting for the day that he comes again and he lifts the veil. And we say, oh, that's what I've been living in the midst of. We're like Baruch. But, and but, we say, that's but, what this is all about. Right, right. And, and th- this is what's so wild is that these seasons are trainings in the mystery. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're entering in with Israel in the anticipation That's of it. Christ so that we understand what the patterns of God absolutely. are like. So that we can say, oh, this makes sense of my life. And this I'm, has happened before. That, that's why at the beginning when I was talking about Baruch and yes. I just was talking about contemporary issues. Oh, that's it. Because because our minds should be looking at this and going like, oh, okay, hold on. Does this make sense of where we are? Right. Because it's a training. It's, and that's why the liturgy is a training. Right. The Going through the word of God is a training. It's all of these things are training so that we can say, ah, look, my life makes sense. Oh, I am caught up in the glory of God. I'm caught up in the story of Israel. I am participating. I am a participant. It's this tension of, I mean, so much of what we do on this podcast is taking these ancient readings and putting them back in their historical context. Right. And saying, look, they are primarily not just about us. They are about these people who are dealing with this stuff and this is real, which is tempting to look at that pedagogy and say, oh, well, if this is all the historical circumstances, that doesn't have anything to do with me because I'm not living 3,000 years ago during this war, during this exile. But if you actually take the time to dig in and see what is the actual historical context and you say, oh, that's what the historical, gosh, that reminds me a lot of this thing that's happening today or that person or my life in this way. So digging into the actual context that is not about us makes it all about us because then we can see it for the truth that it actually is. That's to study salvation history. That's to enter into the mystery, which is really hard to do. The history and mystery, dude. <laughs> yes. And the, that and was good. That's this, not a joke. It was just pithy. Yeah, it's like, just a, hey, man, I put my pith helmet on just for that. <laughs> well it's, done. Yeah. Oh, my Ooh. goodness. I feel I feel like Ooh, glorified <laughs> up in here, man. Glory. There you go. I brought the glory back in. Do you know, I think that that's why I like our podcast. Why? It's because I feel like- I mean, I like it too, but- <laughs> But the, can we, can, we get like me. these beautiful little mm. tastes of the glory. 
No, oh, yeah. Where you say, oh, this makes, yeah, this makes sense. Mm. And I think that that's what we're all longing for. Like, and I think that yeah. that's where scholarship of biblical scholarship of the contemporary age, mm. and it didn't approach it. To, they tried to break the thing. Absolutely. Rather than approach it to say, look at the harmonious glory that makes sense of everything and to right. take it in the context of, of, yeah. of salvation. Like, that's why the movement of salvation history. I mean, that's like the, the, the literary criticism to say, we, we, Critique this for meaning, yes. not not to break it. Because we want to explore it. We want to dig in and find all the... It's like archaeology. Right. We're going to dig it all out to find it. Right. And we're going to yeah. look at, at the how the knee bone connects to the hip bone. Right. And, and we're going we're gonna <laughs> to say, oh, that's how God is working. Yeah. That and, and like... So that's why I really... It's fun. That's why I like you. That's why I like you. That's why I like this. And that's why yes. we like you, mm, who well, are well also enjoying... Um, exploring this with us. It's really just... Or tolerating. Either um, way. Dude, we, um, you know, I think that we should do an extra segment at some point coming up soon. Okay. I'm doing this live on air. Okay. Oh, oh this, boy. This, this is also recorded. I could also edit it. <laughs> <laughs> no, continue. I, I think that we should take one person's question okay. and actually identify it and talk about it on the air. That's a good idea because there's some great questions. There's some great questions. So, And I'm not always fantastic at emailing people back. Right. And so maybe what we can do is we could like That'd take a, a simple one and start to do that because That's you guys are, idea. you send really intelligent things to us mm. that um, are, pretty awesome so occasional cat videos but yeah mainly really <laughs> intelligent questions <laughs> and sometimes intelligent questions punctuated by cat videos oh which is the best kind which is actually kind of that's I, glory I think we just described our podcast oh oh <laughs> feels kind of dirty yeah alright God well, bless you happy advent happy advent see you next week bye 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 The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder Colorado you can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. You can find the Lanky Guys at lankyguys.org, and you can send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. Thanks, everyone.